many things don't we all the time we are rapidly moving from a technological perspective to so many things today in our world we have iPads we have uh, iPhones uh, we keep looking at these gadgets all the time see it's very hard today to talk to people because they're very focused on their iPhone or their iPad very busy with uh, doing things we live in a world that we see so many things I wonder how many things goes through our minds every moment, for example, every day. So many things that make impressions upon our lives. We are living in a technologically advanced society at a rapid pace. And through the internet, there was a police chaplain's conference this past week. One of the major issues that's confronting is cyber crime. It's a massive issue. So many images of children, child pornography, where young people today are taking images of themselves, teenagers, sending it to their phones, to their boyfriends, and when their boyfriends and girlfriends relationships are sent to other places, and it's on Facebook. And it's a massive issue. It is a crime that is confronting our nation in a mega way. So images, we look, we see things that make an impression in our lives. Well, it's quite interesting in the Bible as well. We see God asking people to look at something kind of weird. Look at a brazen, a bronze serpent, and then you're going to live. It doesn't add up, does it? Looking at a, a, a bronze a serpent or a snake on a pole, and then you will live. I wonder what the people thought of when they had this idea put into their minds. I mean, Moses was asked, for example, to make a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And I wonder what Moses would have thought. Lord, what? What are you asking me to do? And then he says, again, God says to people, look at this bronze serpent and things are going to happen to you. You're going to live. I wonder what kind of images came up in Moses' mind when, when God asked him to make this, uh, this, this snake and put it up on a pole. Well, we're going to look at uh, Numbers 21 together with our text uh, this, this morning, particularly John chapter 3, 14 and 15. Let me give you the context here briefly. You see what's happening here is Nicodemus comes along. Nicodemus, as the Bible tells us, a Pharisee named Nicodemus is a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he comes to Jesus and he asks a question. You know, the question is, how can one enter the kingdom of God? It's a really a, a very good question, really, because Nicodemus is interested in the things of, uh, of what, God, what Christ has been doing. And we see in the scriptures here, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives 
birth the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And then, of course, Nicodemus says, uh, how can this be? Nicodemus asks, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. Do you not understand uh, these things? And then verse 12, I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. It's a question. See, entering the kingdom of God. We sang a song this morning, didn't we? Yeah, the call of the kingdom. Right? And the call of the kingdom is to enter the kingdom of God. We have two kingdoms. One is the kingdom of God, and one is, and the other is the kingdom of darkness. Either you are in the kingdom of Christ, or you are in the kingdom of darkness. And to enter this kingdom of Christ, to enter into the kingdom of God, it means you believe in the person of Jesus Christ. And you're going to be born again. And born again is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes a sinner, gives him the ability to believe, gives him the gift of faith, gives him the gift of grace, and through the working of the Holy Spirit, draws that person who is dead in sin and gives the person the gift to believe. That is what it means to be born again. All right? We don't do it ourselves because we cannot do it ourselves. We are enemies of God. And God does this work of drawing people unto himself. Isn't that tremendous? If you are a Christian here this morning, then you are a born again believer, right? You cannot be otherwise. (laughs) You might have your membership on the church roll, but that does not make you a Christian, does it? Your name needs to be written on the Lamb's book of life. You need to have the seal of Christ on your forehead. You need to have the seal of the Holy Spirit. As Paul says in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, that God has chosen you before the foundations of this world and he has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. This is the work of regeneration. I'm not going to expand on that this morning, but just to put this in the context here. Now in between this this section of scripture, it's quite interesting because all of us would know John chapter 3, 16. Well, I'm sure most of us would know John chapter 3, verse 16, all right? It's a memory text that we've studied here. For God so loved the world, gave his only son, should not perish but have everlasting life. Excellent, all right? So we come to John three sixteen, but in between here, we have two verses that perhaps it's quite easy for us to kind of skim over. And these two verses are very interesting in the context here and what Jesus uh, is saying. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. I wonder whether you actually stopped at John chapter 3.16 and looked at these two verses. Why, why, why would It seems to me that there is a transition. It seems to me it doesn't, perhaps you might say, doesn't fit in the overall scheme of things here. But there is an in, intentionality that we see by Jesus referring to what, to an event that took place many years ago. 
There is a definite intentionality here that Nicodemus needed to know and for us for the gospel uh, to be proclaimed because something had to happen. So let's look at that. You see, Jesus refers him to an account in the Old Testament, which we read in, uh, which we read in our first reading uh, this morning in Numbers chapter 21. I want to give you a very brief overview here this morning. See, Numbers chapter 1 and verse 1 starts off by saying, The Lord spoke to Moses, if you have your Bibles in the book of Numbers, spoke to Moses in the wilderness. Not if you have your Bibles, you do have your Bibles. I'm sure you do, right? It's on your iPhone, right? It's on your iPad, you got it there. You're not texting people while I'm preaching here, I'm sure. You're looking at the Bible on your iPhone, right? Okay, Numbers chapter 1 and verse 1 starts with the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month, the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. And it's interesting, in the Hebrew Bible, the word wilderness, those of you who are Hebrew scholars here, go and have a look at your Hebrew Bible, you see that? The word wilderness is the fifth word in the book of Numbers. And therefore the Jewish people called this book the book of the wilderness. That's what they call the book of Numbers. They called it the book of the wilderness. Now, my dear friends, the people had come out of Egypt. They were headed to the promised land that God had said he will take them to. At Mount Sinai, they stayed for one year. And what is given in Leviticus is given while they are at the foot of Mount Sinai. And the first part of Numbers is given at the foot of Mount Sinai. Then they rise up after that and they start to move on. And the rest of the book of Numbers will be the 40 years of their window, uh, they're walking, they're proceeding in the wilderness a long time. And they will then come back to the entrance into the promised land on the plains of Moab, just getting ready into entering uh, the promised land. Now, that's a very, very quick picture, all right? Very quick picture. Overview of this book. So let's come to Numbers 21. What do we see here? When the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming along the road to uh, Atharim, he attacked the Israelites and captured some of them. Conflict was initiated by them. He attacked them, he captured them. How did the people respond to this attack? Let me say this. There are two groups of people here when we come to numbers. There are the older Israelites who have been through the journey, and there is the new generation. Right? So there is this kind of generational gap. Don't we see a generational gap? And people talk about this, okay? The, the new generation, the old generation, all people groups, okay? We learn from the old, don't we? What? We should learn from the older generation. It's very good. Right? Um, so we have the old generation people there. We have the new generation people there. So uh, this is now coming into, the, into play here. And we come to Numbers chapter 21. You see, uh, how did the people actually respond they did something. Then Israel made this vow to the Lord. If you will deliver these people into our hands, we will totally destroy their cities. The Lord listened to Israel's plea and gave them the Canaanites. Okay, The Lord gave them victory. They completely destroyed the Canaanite cities. And the Israelites here in numbers, like I said, are part of the old generation, part of the new generation. This new generation was not so different from the old generation. I'll come to that in a moment. See, they traveled from Mount O along the route of the Red Sea to go to, uh, around Edom, but something happened along the way. Something happened. Numbers 21, 
The people grew impatient on the way. Do you suffer with not being patient? I'll be very quick to be impatient. (laughs) We want things almost instantaneously, don't we, today? (laughs) Okay, we want them yesterday. All right, we put our computers on today, right? And we want that internet to come at 3.0 speed. The hit will hit our, our, our website, bang, like that. We don't even wait a few minutes. We want the latest ultimate router that's on the market that will hit all our computers in the home at one hit and then be on the computer within a second. And the speeds today, like 100 megabytes per second, is coming at a rapid pace. Oh, we can't even just, we can't even just wait. We can't even wait for a few minutes. So impatient. Oh, come on, come on, get started, get started. Right? I mean, I do it. I'm guilty of it, right? I'm sure some of us do it. Whereas we get so impatient. But look at what's happening here. The people are absolutely, see, the, uh, the, the, the people grew impatient on the way. They, they spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us? Up out of Egypt to die in the desert. There is no bread. There is no water. There is, this is a detestable, miserable food you're giving us. The same old story of grumbling and complaining. It's nothing new, isn't it? It happened in the past in the Exodus story. They spoke against God. They spoke against Moses. Two uh, things wrong that they did. Why have you brought us it? There's no bread, no water, and we detest Stand this food. It's terrible. It's like uh, you don't like Brussels sprouts. I'm, I, I love Brussels sprouts, okay? Or, or you like spinach or something. Or, or what other st- food, greens that you perhaps don't like? I don't know. It's detestable. I, I don't like this. But it's good for your body. You tell that to your teenagers. It's good for you. I don't like it. Anyway, these people are saying they detest this miserable food. Poor Moses. Imagine what he had to cope with, right? Imagine Moses. He's, he's serving God faithfully. He's a leader of God's people. He's got to contend with a grumpy, grumbling, complaining bunch of people time and time again. I mean, Moses would have surely thought of, we're going to look at passing the baton, right? On a couple of weeks, the youth service. I'm sure he would have wanted to pass the baton many times and say, Lord, I've had it with these people. I am just running out of this place. No, my dear friends, when you're in leadership, you have to cope with everything, isn't it? When you're a leader, you have to cope with gumbling and complaining and with, with happiness and with everything comes. It's a whole package thing, all right? When you're a leader. And Moses had to cope with this. He's serving God. It's hard time. It's part of the deal, friends. If you're seeking to be an elder, a minister, whatever, if you've got a company that you're a leader, if you're managing people as a, uh, 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 at a senior level, you know what I'm talking about, right? You have to cope with everything. So, they had witnessed God's faithfulness. There was a sense of ungratefulness that we see here. They had witnessed God's faithfulness to them, yet they continued to grumble and complain. And how did the Lord respond to this grumbling and complaining? You would think that God would say, oh, poor people, you know, let me do something better for them. How did he respond? Notice what he did, friends. The Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. Imagine that for a moment. Snakes coming from all over the place. 
Imagine that. Many Israelites died. Now friends, how many of you like looking at snakes? Do you? I like to look at snakes when they are in the zoo or someplace. But coming close to you, oh boy, boy oh boy. That's a different story, all right? I remember when I was growing up in Sri Lanka, seeing snakes. I saw a snake actually in our kitchen. On the, on, on the roof, see, some of our houses, we didn't have ceilings, right? Like you have here. And this is asbestos roof. And we got this, oh, that's even bad. I got these, uh, these wooden rafters. And I still picture it, seeing the snake on the roof in the kitchen. A few times. He was coming after rats. Nothing new in Sri Lanka. And we see the skin that's been left behind. Even scarier. Rat snakes. But not a very pleasant sight. Right? Not a very pleasant sight. Imagine this Israel. Many died. Was The question for us this morning is this. Was God just or was he unjust in sending these vicious, venomous snakes? Now, have you ever been confronted by snakes? Oh, that's, I want to get that picture a bit bigger, but it didn't have, should I make it bigger? It's a tiger snake, all right? I made it small so that it doesn't scare you. That's right. <laughs> all right. We have another snake in Australia. Oh, uh, it's the eastern brown snake. It's supposed to be the most, the eastern brown snake, often referred to as uh, the common brown snake, is a species of whatever. This snake is considered the second most venomous snake in the world. It's here, right here in Australia. And then, of course, we have the taipan. So you wouldn't want to be confronted by these snakes. You wouldn't want to do that. So I was reading an article in preparation for this message. There are 500 to 600 hospital admissions every year in Australia with two to four deaths by snake bites. Every time here in this nation, right? It's happening here. The article was uh, written by Deb Anderson in the Age newspaper. So in Numbers 21, we see that the people were bitten by venomous snakes. We don't know what type of snakes uh, bit the people. We don't know their names. We don't know their breed. But we do know that many died. And the people must have been gripped by fear and also sorrow with the deaths of so many of their friends, their family members. How did they deal with the situation? See what happens here. And the people came to Moses said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he will take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. They repented, they acknowledged their sin. It was a very specific uh, acknowledgement of sin. You see, sometimes we say, Lord, forgive me my sin. Forgive us our sins. Are we really specific? Forgive me for the times I have spoken badly to my wife, for example. Forgive me when I've said things to A, B, or C in this way. Forgive me when I've not loved you the way I should have loved you. It's been specific. Right? They repented. I requested Moses to pray. And let's keep moving on. And the Lord said to Moses, make a snake. This is weird. This is weird. Make a snake, put it on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. Moses made a bronze snake, put it up on a pole. And then when anyone was bitten by a snake, looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Now why would God want Moses to make a snake, a bronze, and put it on a pole? You see, God gave them mercy. All right? Showed them mercy. He could have killed them and they could have all been destroyed. In the midst of sin. I want us to see this morning. In the midst of judgment. Because that was judgment. God is showing mercy. Do we see that? 
our God is a God of judgment and a God of mercy. That's who he is. And I can go on this morning for a longer time on the snakes and the types that we have in Numbers, but we won't. Now this is a specific type that we see in Numbers that is pointing forward to something else. The Israelites were well versed with Egyptian symbolism. Egyptian myth, now there are Egyptians here this morning, I was tempted to call them this, uh, this past week and find out, but anyway, Egyptian myth has had several snake gods, right? Uh, from the coiled one, Mahan, who assisted Ra in fighting, I hope this, Ape or some guy, right? Every day. And uh, the snakes were very much part of their Egyptian culture. In fact, uh, uh, we see this, uh, the ancient Egyptian snake god portrait, right? It is there, it's a historical thing about a snake god. The Israelites were familiar with the symbolism of the snake gods, and these gods were a representation of the power of Egypt. The Egyptians were familiar with this. And snakes were well-known symbols of power in Egypt. For example, we have this. The familiar image of a cobra on Pharaoh's crown was symbolic of power, right? I see some of the, I see Pastor Gurgis nodding his head, so I'm right. <laughs> okay? Rather symbol there of power. And apart from ancient Egypt, there are other people in the world who worship snakes. In Sri Lanka, for example, we were not allowed to kill a cobra because it, was, it had some religious connection to it. It had to be worshipped. You see, God is saying to the Israelites, having been freed from the power of Pharaoh, would they really want to be subject under such power again? No. And you see, what we see symbolically, friends, is this. You know the snake stories, I can't go into it for the purpose of time. But the snakes that, that Egypt lifted up to worship, God sent venomous snakes, poisonous snakes to bite the people. And he told the people of Israel, these snakes, they can bite you. But I'm sending, there's a bronze snake now who's going to do something, not the snake itself. I'm going to do something by you looking at this snake, which is all-powerful. And you look at the bronze snake and you're going to live. And you're going to live and have real life. Can you see that? That's what we see. You see, there was not a magical cure for snakes. If you have snake bites, go and look at a bronze snake on a pole. <laughs> That's not a magical cure, right? In fact, this bronze snake was, was destroyed. You see this... Uh, uh, in Ezekiah, he removed the high places. I'm reading quickly. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, what happened to the Israelites here? They had been burning incense to it, worshipping it. See that? Now the Israelites were healed by God's grace. And we come to the New Testament. We come to the New Testament and Jesus says to Nicodemus, just as Moses did it, the Son of Man must be lifted up. You see, you can't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. Can you? <laughs> it does not make sense. God is saying to Nicodemus, this, the, the Moses raised this serpent, this bronze serpent. Jesus is saying, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. What is he referring to? The bronze serpent, the snake on a pole. And Jesus is saying, I will be lifted up it's pointing to the 
cross. That's what we see here. Why should Jesus be lifted up? He paid the price for your sin, for mine. God is a God of justice. He must punish sin. He was crucified to take the wrath of God for our sin. He must be lifted up. He becomes sin for us and receives our judgment. And when we look to him in faith, what does the Bible tell us? What does Jesus tell us? You will have everlasting life. You will live. And I want to say this, friends. That everlasting life is already yours in Christ today. Yes? Yeah. Please know that. That everlasting life has begun in you here and now. Right? When you believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Your seal and everlasting life begins and is yours now. And when we die, we will go to be with the Lord in the Father's house in heaven. See that? The Son of Man must be lifted up. How about you this morning? Who are you looking to today? It was the last time you looked at Jesus in faith. You said, Lord, I want to thank you that you took my place. That I might live. Are you living real life? How's your life going today, friends? Are you living the abundant life that God has given you? Praise God for that. Eh? That's a fantastic response from the frontier. See, everlasting life. Born of the Spirit. You see, John Newton. That's what he said, right? As a young crewman, when his ship nearly sank, Newton professed Christ. He spent years committing uh, sin. Uh, but he said uh, this, My memory is nearly gone. So when I was about to die. But I remember two things. I'm a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Newton's tombstone reads, Once an infidel was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith that Lord labored to destroy. This morning, the Lord's Supper is God's love for us. Right? We come because Christ was lifted up, was nailed, spat upon, a crown of thorns put on him, Crucified, whipped, spat, killed, murdered, so that you and I might have life. That's a blessing. So come to the Lord's table this morning if you believe in Jesus. If you don't, repent and come. Because Christ invites you to his table for his children. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. As you come to the supper, we pray, Lord, your blessing for our lives. Thank you for what Jesus has done for us. That he was lifted up on the cross. And those who look to him in faith will live and have everlasting life. Amen.